Well, thank you. Uh, I want us to continue to, to be in prayer uh, for our brothers and sisters there in the CAR. Um, so we continue this morning with our series called Mark My Words, looking through Jesus' words in the book of Mark. And uh, uh, the first two weeks of this month of October, my family did a cleanse. Anybody ever done a cleanse before? Yeah. My son is raising his hand. Yep. Okay. Um, so we, uh, Esther and I decided we were going to do a two-week cleanse. And uh, it involved a lot of fruit smoothies. It involved a couple days of fasting with only water. It involved a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables, a lot of lean proteins. Uh, what it didn't involve were uh, grains and sugars, added sugars, okay? Some of you are doing this right now because you like grains and added sugars. And uh, uh, Esther and I did the full-fledged cleanse, right? We kind of did it to the to the T. It's a 14-day it's a cleanse that we got. Um, but for the boys, we didn't make them do the entire thing, okay? We just took out added sugars. We had them not eat any added sugars for two weeks, which is torture for a fourth and a sixth grader, okay? Okay. Um, we wanted them to eat a lot less sugar, but, but with them, uh, we weren't going to be militant about it. So as an example, Alex um, had a birthday party that he went to during those two weeks, okay? And we said, you can eat whatever they're serving. It's fine. Have a piece of cake. Don't overdo it. Just have one. You know, those kinds of things, okay? So there were, if there were special occasions that came up during those two weeks, we allowed them to, to partake in that. Um, there was also some spur-of-the-moment cheat opportunities or temptations that came along, right? One of those moments happened um, two, yeah, two Wednesday nights ago at JAM, okay? It's a, JAM is a, a kids program we have here on Wednesday nights uh, from 6.30 to 8. And my fourth grader, Eli, was here at JAM. And uh, I had, the staff knew about our cleanse, so they wouldn't tempt me with things. Um, but so we walk into Jam, and, and Miss Billy and her team are checking kids in, and uh, Billy sees Eli, and she sees me, and she thinks, they're doing a cleanse. And she knows what's coming that night, because for the craft that night, they were making uh, Joseph and his coat of many colors out of graham crackers and icing and colored sprinkles, okay? And so Billy was like, she got this panicked look on her face. She's like, what, what should I do? what do we do about Eli? And I was like, he can have it. It's fine. You know, it's fine. Don't worry about it. So I even went and told Eli, I said, Hey, you guys are having a snack tonight, which they don't normally have, but it's part of the craft. And uh, you guys are having a snack tonight and I'm leaving it up to you. Like you can have it if you want. You know, I want you to have fun and enjoy it with your friends and make the coat and all those things and get to eat it afterwards. And he kind of indicated to me when I talked to him that he wasn't going to do it. And so I was like, okay, it's your choice, but you are more than welcome to. And uh, so uh, they, they get into the craft room and, and uh, I found out about this a little bit later, but um, Billy noticed that he was kind of sitting off to the side and everybody else had graham crackers and icing and sprinkles and Eli did not have anything in front of him. And Billy went over to him and said, said, Eli, do you want something? And, and he said, he said, no, uh, we're doing a cleanse. I can't have that. And, and, he, and she said, but well, I talked to your dad and he said it would be okay if you had it. Just, he goes, he goes, I know, but I'm not going to do it because we're, we're on a cleanse. And I'm like, wow, if only all of us could have that kind of self-control. Amen. Um, 
I have the greatest child in the history of children, I think. (laughs) He was very careful not to break the cleanse. He knew what the expectation was, and he had decided beforehand what he was going to do if that scenario arose. He knew what his job was, okay? And he, he stood firm in the face of ultimate temptation, icing and sprinkles. And, uh, and he said, I am not going to break this cleanse. And he didn't. And uh, so we had, we had a good talk about it. I was, I was proud of him. I definitely allowed him to do it, but I was proud of him for sticking, sticking with it. Um, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 13 in your Bibles. Mark chapter 13. And hopefully you'll see at the end how that little intro story about my son kind of applies to what we're talking about here. Mark chapter 13. This is a difficult passage to understand at times. Um, It is a prophetic passage as Jesus is telling his disciples about future things that are going to happen. There is much debate about this passage. Is Jesus talking about events that happened only in the ancient world? Is he talking about future events even for us? Um, I fall into the camp that he's talking about both time frames at different points during this passage, both back then and in the future for us as well. And this morning, uh, we're not going to dive deep in terms of the intricacies of the different prophecies in this passage. There's a time and a place for that. Um, There's a benefit in that. But I want us uh, this morning to see an emphasis in this passage that Jesus lays out as he talks through these prophecies. And so I'm going to kind of just give an overview of the first kind of 75% of the passage, and then we're going to dive in at the end and look at, uh, and look at the passage starting in verse 32. So the chapter starts with the disciples marveling at how amazing the temple was. Okay, they, Just how, how marvelous it is, how grand it is. What an amazing structure using words like massive, magnificent. Jesus then tells them that the temple will be destroyed. Okay? He says not one stone is going to sit on top of another stone. It's all coming down. And they asked him when this will happen. And the rest of the chapter is Jesus giving insight into what will happen in the future. He cautions them about not falling for false prophets and teachers in the future. He says, many will come claiming to be me. Don't fall for it. Many, many people are going to teach different things that are not in my word, that are not what I teach. Don't fall for it. He tells them of wars and battles, kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation. He tells them of natural disasters that will occur, earthquakes and the like. He tells them that they themselves will suffer because they will be outspoken for Jesus. They will be hated because of Jesus. There will be families that turn against family. And in verse 14, he talks about the abomination that causes desolation. That's the phrase that he used. This was first prophesied by Daniel, the prophet Daniel, in uh, chapter 9, verse 27, and chapter 11, verse 31 in the book of Daniel. He talks about the abomination that causes desolation. This is an, an abomination, an idol, or something that is detestable to God, completely detestable, that is set up in the temple, which causes the Jews to flee the temple and ultimately the temple be destroyed. 
It will cause complete desolation. The, the, the Jews will flee into the hills, Jesus tells them to, for their safety. And it causes a complete eradication of the temple. This happened when the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70 by the Romans. All right, so there's a prophecy that, that happens in, in our past, right? It was in the future for them at the time, but it happened in our past when the temple was destroyed. Jesus continues in this passage to talk about more events that will happen and signs that they will be happening. He moves from ancient world events to events far in the future, and they are still future for us today, namely the return of Christ to take his church home. I want to read from verse 32 on and then talk about the pattern that we see throughout this entire chapter. Okay, so I have it up on the screen here. You can follow along in your Bible as well. Um, this is the, so that's kind of the backdrop of, of how Jesus gets to this point in Mark chapter 13. Jesus says this, but about that day or hour, no one knows not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. He's talking about when Jesus returns in, in, in the future for us still, when Jesus comes back, the second coming, to take his church home. Okay? Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. Those, incidentally, those four times are, are different um, or different posts that the, the Romans had as they were guarding different things at night. There was someone that would be in the evening, um, someone that would be at midnight, someone that was there when the rooster crowed, and someone that was there at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Okay? This is a very important passage because it tells us that we don't know when Christ is coming back. We don't know when Christ is coming back. Now, we can respond to this in several ways, okay? We don't know when he's coming, so it doesn't really matter. I'm not advocating that response. I'm saying we can respond in that way. Like, who, who knows? Who cares? Let's just live for now. Let's be happy. Let's do what we want to do because life is short. We don't know, so we have to try and figure it out. It's another response we might have. How many times in our lifetime, probably even in the last 10 or 15 years, how many times have we heard somebody declaring, this is when Christ is returning? On Thursday, September, whatever it is, you know, like the world's going to end right? Spoiler alert, they've all been wrong, okay? We don't know. And Jesus tells us plainly here that we're not going to know. I mean, we'll know it when it happens, <laughs> but we don't know when it, when it is beforehand. 
We don't know, so I need to be alert and eager for his return. That's what I'm advocating this morning. That's the response that we need. That's the response that Jesus tells us to have in this passage. I want you to see a pattern in this passage. And I know we didn't talk about, we didn't go over every verse in the passage, okay? But if you have your Bibles, I want you to to look at them. And I'm going to point out some things in this passage, all right? This is a pattern or a pattern of emphasis that Jesus has in all of chapter 13 in his discourse here, okay? If you have your notes, your half sheet, you can fill these in. Watch, guard, and be alert. This is the pattern. This is the emphasis that Jesus set up here that he tells us. This, this, incidentally, this, um, uh, this chapter is, is called, nicknamed the Olivet Discourse. If you hear anybody talking about the Olivet Discourse, this is what they're talking about. This is given on the Mount of Olives. It's where Jesus was talking with his disciples at. So in verse 5, okay, we're going to see this pattern here. Verse 5. Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. Okay? So he says, watch out. Don't let people deceive you. Verse 9, he says, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And then in verse 10, he says, and the gospel must first be preached to all nations. That is, that's the directive that he's given to his disciples and to us. That's first and foremost. That is paramount. That is, that is what I'm calling you to do. So be on guard. Don't get discouraged because there's going to be persecution All right. In verse 23, we jump up a little bit. Jesus says this. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. Right. Jesus has, has, he has told them what's going to happen. And he says, be on your guard. Verse 33, which we just read, be on guard, be alert. You don't know when that time will come. Verse 35, he says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back. And the very last thing he says, he leaves with the disciples. He says, what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. It's the last thing that he says. He kind of repeats it. It's an emphasis here in this passage from Jesus. He says, watch. One takeaway, one word, one command, watch. That's how Jesus ends with the disciples. We'd be foolish to think that this simply just means to sit on our hands, not really doing anything, just looking into the sky in anticipation of his return. We'd be foolish to think that this means we should have the attitude of not caring about lost souls around us, giving up on people because we've just had enough of other people's sin. Anybody ever said something like that? This world, I can't take it anymore. I'm ready to go home. Just take me now. Do we we not expect to see sin in a lost and fallen world? That should be an expectation that we have. 
right? And yet many times we get caught up in the fact that, well, other people's sin is ruining my time, so this is, I don't care anymore. I'm ready to go. And we can have an anticipation of being ready to go to heaven while at the same time using it as motivation to do the work that he's called us to do. There's a very different mindset there in those two ideas of wanting to be home with Jesus. There are three things in this final illustration, verses 32 to 37, three things that Jesus says explicitly about what he has given us and what we are to do with it. Okay, he uses this, this parable, this story, to tell us these things. So three things that he left us. He left us his house. Okay? Verse 34, it's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge. There's servants that he leaves at the house and he puts them in charge. His house is his church. Okay, it belongs to him, but he has entrusted it to us. It belongs to him, but he has entrusted it to us. And what, is, what else does it say? He put his servants in charge. He left us authority. Through Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he has given us authority. In his church. Do we have ultimate authority? No, it's his church. But he has entrusted certain things to us. We are to, to keep watch over his church, over his people. We are to continue to do the work that he's called us to do through the church, through his people, reaching out, serving, loving, like we've talked about the last couple of weeks. Right? He must first be a servant of all. You must be a slave of all. You must choose to be a slave of, of Jesus Christ and do the things that he's called us to do. Love your neighbor, what we talked about last week, right? Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor. Those are the things that he's called us to do. And he's left us authority to do those. And he left us tasks, okay? We kind of talked about them just now, but... We're not just to sit around and stare, sit on our hands and do nothing and wait. He left specific tasks for people to do each with their assigned tasks and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Watching and being on guard has kind of a a defense implication, doesn't it? That's kind of what we hear when we say, I want to be on guard. I want to watch out. I'm, I'm kind of being very defensive in that moment. We need to be careful of pitfalls. We need to notice false doctrine when we hear it. Let's watch out and be on guard. Know the truth so we, didn't, we don't get caught up in things that we shouldn't be caught up in. Right? He says that uh, in, in uh, verse 9. Watch out that you're not deceived. Or verse 5, excuse me. Watch out that you're not deceived. What it doesn't mean is for us to be complacent about the mission that God has given us. We don't just sit by the window of the house and watch for him to come back, okay? He tells one person to do that. What does he say? One person and tells the one at the door to keep watch. 
We are to watch, right? We're not to, he's not saying watch for him to come back. Just look up in the sky and make sure we know when he's coming back. That's not what he's saying here. We are to watch his house, the church. What's coming in the door? Who's coming in the door? Are all, are all welcome? Man, I, I hope so. I hope we welcome people in to give them the good news of Jesus Christ. But when people start coming in, kind of wolves in sheep's clothing, if you will, we've talked about them at length in in other uh, different sermon series, the Judaizers, right, who came in and and wanted to add more to the gospel. Yeah, yeah, right? Faith in Christ, salvation by grace through faith. And then you also got to do this. And you also got to do this. And then you also have to do this in order for God to accept you. They keep adding things. That's what he's telling us to watch. Watch my church. Make sure we teach what I taught. Make sure you love people how I love them. Watch what we're doing. We are to watch ourselves to see that we are focused on eternal things and not caught up in temporal things. We work and we labor doing what he's asked us to do. Do you ever find yourself getting caught up in temporal things and not focused on the work that Christ has called you to do? Not being passionate about the tasks that Jesus has given us and instead being passionate about other things that in the grand scheme of things don't really matter? All right, everybody lift your feet off the floor because I'm going to come down hard on some toes here, okay? You don't really have to lift your feet. I I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, several weeks ago, I think, my propensity to do this. And so know I'm coming at this from a place of of, uh, experience, if you will, okay? But here's the question. And this is one example, okay? But it's a fresh example, so I'm going to go ahead and use it. How many of you are less concerned about maybe neighbors that you have or coworkers that you have or students that you're in school with? Less concerned the fact that they don't know Jesus. You're less concerned about that than you are about the fact that the Buckeyes lost last night. Right? Like, seriously, I, I don't, not a show of hands, okay? But think about it. Like, I, I mentioned this, right, with the Steelers. Um, for those of you that don't know, I'm a Steelers fan. You can boo. That's fine. But I mentioned my propensity in the past to do this. And it's just one example. But I bet some of you were so distraught last night and this morning. And, and your, your life is going to be a wreck for the next two or three days because the Buckeyes lost a game. And you haven't thought one time in the last week about your neighbor's salvation. Maybe for you it's grades in school. Maybe for you it's money. Or what it, we can have a gajillion things that we get caught up in in this life that don't matter for eternity. Those are not the tasks that Jesus left us with.
Jesus is coming soon. And I have to live like he's coming soon. Okay? Think about that that quote for a second. Jesus is coming soon, and I have to live like he's coming soon. What, What would that change? Would it change anything about what you do today or tomorrow? What your short and long-term goals are, how you'd spend your time and money, what activities you prioritize, maybe some of your thought processes, decision-making, those kinds of things. It's not use our time to make ourselves look great, spending time in front of some spiritual mirror, trying to look the best that we can. Not knowing when Jesus is coming should give us a sense of urgency. He could come tonight. That's not a prophecy. He could come tonight. He could come tomorrow. He could come in 2040. Right? We don't know. We should have a sense of urgency because we don't know. The tasks that he has given us to do, we are to watch to make sure we are being faithful. You don't watch and point out everybody else. You watch your heart. You watch your motivations. You watch the things that you're engaged in. You watch things that you find important in life, things that you value, and you constantly compare them to what Scripture says, to what Jesus says. Are these things I should be focusing my life on? This thing that I'm hearing on this radio or this TV show or this book that I'm reading, does that line up? with the truth that I know the Bible to speak? Does that line up with what Jesus says? Does that have any eternal significance? What is the task that he has left you with? It should give us a sense of urgency to be bold in proclaiming the gospel and to think less about the pleasures of this world. Being watchful is not a passive response. It is an active role in being involved in his work before he returns. So there's three phrases here that he says. We just went over them um, in the last slide. In fact, I'll go back there. He says, watch Don't be deceived, right? He says it in verse five. Don't be deceived. He says, be on guard in verse nine. Don't get discouraged. That's what he's talking about there. And in verse 33, he says, be alert. Focus on the right things, the Father's work. I know it's not a true, like 100% equivalency, okay? But like my son, Eli, in this cleanse moment, okay? Resolve to do what's asked of you, to meet the expectation. 
to not get caught up in temptation, to veer off course, resolve to build his church until he returns to gather his church. That's the task that he has given us. That's the ultimate task he's given us. He's given each of us different little tasks to help the larger mission, right? For some of us, it might be teaching. For some of you, it might be encouraging and hospitality. For some of you, um, it could be helping people, serving people. What role are you to play in the larger mission that God has given us. And this morning, I want you to ask yourself, all these things here that that Jesus says several times in this passage, are you, uh, is that even um, on your radar? Is that a thought process of yours to, to watch out for those things, to be on guard for those things? And maybe when I mention the Buckeyes, some of you had this like self-righteous attitude of, yeah, sports people, don't think about it so much, right? That's just the freshest example I had today. There are many, many examples of how we get caught up in doing things in life that we think are so important in the moment. And by doing those things, by focusing on those things and prioritizing those things, we let go of what's truly important. So what is it for you? I can't answer that for you. What are those things in your life that you're not being very alert or watchful or guarding against and they're just taking you away from what God has asked you to do? This is one of the most important things. I say it all the time. A, A decision to follow Jesus Christ, a decision about What do we do about the claim of Christ that he is the son of God and that he died for our sins and that he is the only way to eternal life, right? That, that, um, that requires a decision on our part and it is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. Greater than who's going to be your spouse, greater than where you're going to live or the job you're going to have or the house you're going to buy or what car or what college you're going to go to. It's the most important decision you're ever going to make in your life because it's the only decision that is a matter of life and death for eternity. And I'm sure many in this room have made that decision. You have trusted Christ that he is who he says he is and his work on the cross is sufficient to save you from your sin and pass you from death to eternal life. And many of us make that decision and then we keep living life and the pressures of this world and the pleasures of this world weigh on us and we get bogged down and we begin to just drift off into things that are not nearly as important It's our relationship with Jesus and sharing that with other people. So what is it this morning for you that is causing you to drift and to not be on your guard and to not watch and to not be alert about what's coming into your mind, about what's coming into your heart, about what you're prioritizing? I'm going to have the band come back up. We're going to sing one more song as we close today. I want us to bow, uh, bow our heads.
If you have never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, a decision to follow Christ is not just a get-out-of-hell-free card. A decision to follow Christ is making him Lord over your life and not just Savior. We abandon our human goals and our human aspirations and we abandon them to him and say, Jesus, I know because of my sin, I do not measure up to you. And it is only through your work on the cross that I have the hope of eternal life. And because of that, I want to submit myself to you. The direction of my life, I want you to tell me which direction that is. The way I spend my time, I want you to tell me how to spend my time. The way I spend my money, I want you to tell me how I spend my money. The things I have in life, I want them to be yours and used for your purposes. That's what submitting to Jesus as Lord of life means. He becomes your guide. He becomes your master. And you listen to him. And so we look at our own sin and we see we can never measure up. And we say, Jesus, I want you as Lord of my life to save me from my sin. I encourage you to get right with Jesus today if you have never done that. Trust him. Submit your heart to him. And for those of you that have already done that, I want you to ask him to search your heart in this moment. Is he really the king of your heart or is it just lip service? Are you really watching out and being on guard and being alert, focusing on the things that are important and eternal Do you have a sense of urgency because we don't know when Jesus is returning? So whatever camp you're in, if you've never made that decision before, I encourage you to do that today. You can come up as we sing. If you're struggling with something that that is out of whack in your life and and you're just going down a wrong road that you know that Jesus doesn't intend for you to go down. You think things are more important than what they really should be in your life. I encourage you to come down for prayer. We'll talk about it. You can stand. You can sit. You can kneel however you want to, want to interact with our Savior this morning in this moment. But I want you to ask God to do a work in your heart as we sing this song about who is the king of your heart. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word and what it teaches us. God, I pray that your spirit would rest on our hearts today and that it would, it would dig up those things that are uncomfortable to think about and talk about and to, um, to interact with. That, God, you desire to transform us and to cleanse us. So we thank you that you hold us in your hand. 
that it is not about our power, but it is about you. It is only about you, and it is always about you. God, may our hearts always remember that and live in response to that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.